Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. When were the... What school's that? Where's that story? It's Curious City. Where WBEZ answers your questions... About Chicago, the region, and its people. This is Stephen Jackson. Last year, Elizabeth Brigham and her family were looking for a house in the Chicago area. They wanted to live in a suburb with good schools, an active community, and it had to be diverse. So, they scouted in a place known for diversity the suburb of Oak Park, just west of Chicago. And as we were driving around, I didn't pay too much attention to it, but noticed that it was a bit curious or interesting that there weren't any real estate signs uh, in front of the homes that we were looking at. No for sale, for rent, or sold signs. They just weren't there. And Brigham thought that was weird. And it is pretty weird. You'd think real estate agents and homeowners would want to advertise in every way possible. So what's the deal? Well, there's a story behind this question. It's a story that tells us a lot about Oak Park and how it became the diverse community that Brigham was attracted to in the first place. Let's begin in the 60s and 70s. African Americans had been leaving their segregated Chicago neighborhoods and moving to other parts of the city. It was an era of rampant blockbusting. If you don't know this nasty little gerund, blockbusting just means that real estate agents scared white people into selling their homes. They'd knock on doors and suggest that African-Americans were moving in and property values would plummet. They'd hire black actors to walk down the street or push baby strollers on the sidewalk. And they'd post plenty of for sale signs so it would be clear the neighborhood was about to flip. Then the realtors bought those houses for a song and sold them to African-Americans for a profit. And it was going on a black-by-black basis and a lot of fear and a lot of panic was generated. Roberta Raymond was a housing activist at the time. She says instead of opposing African Americans moving in or watching as all the white people moved out, the village of Oak Park encouraged diversity. They put together a fair housing strategy, and part of that strategy was a ban on real estate signs. They added it to the village code in 1972, and it was a delicate balance between soothing the fears of white homeowners and attracting the very minorities that made those homeowners nervous in the first place. There was a lot of hand-holding, and so we had to prove that whites would move into neighborhoods that were integrated neighborhoods if they felt that on a long-term basis that neighborhood would stay integrated. A lot of white people did move out, but racial change happens slowly. Instead of resegregation, there was integration. But the plot thickens because in 1977, just five years after Oak Park banned signs, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that such bans violate the First Amendment. Similar bans were nixed in other towns. So why are there still no real estate signs in Oak Park? I guess the interesting answer to that is there are sometimes real estate signs in Oak Park, but they come down quickly. This is Cedric Melton. He's the director of community relations in Oak Park, and he says people in the village informally enforce the ban. 
If a sign pops up, he immediately gets concerned calls from locals. So he calls whoever posted the sign and explains. Okay, yes, uh, Oak Park is one of the first communities that initiated the sign ban. And what it did was... He gives them the whole historical spiel and explains that after the Supreme Court ruling, Oak Park leaders still wanted to promote integration. So they just never took it out of the village code. Our ban has not been stricken from our book. It is still on our books. But instead of enforcing it as a law, it's more of a village custom. Today, the local realtors agree not to use signs. The only people who even try putting up signs are out-of-town realtors and the occasional owner trying to sell their own house, which they have every right to do. But your signage will be met with a lot of local resentment. Uh, Individuals who are looking to purchase the home may um, be questioned about their thoughts on race, and so you're going to get a lot of calls. And almost every time, the person on the other end of the phone takes their sign down. But not everyone is happy with this arrangement. It may have been that the sign ban worked back in the 60s or 70s. I don't know that it is doing much at this point, um, other than, you know, driving me crazy by having an unconstitutional law in our books. This is Max. Max Signage. That's not his real name. He's an attorney, and he's staying anonymous, so his opinion won't reflect on his boss. A few years ago, when he and his wife moved from one end of Oak Park to another, they didn't put up a for sale sign because they didn't want to deal with a backlash, which felt like a lost opportunity because... Um, You know, the 1,000 or 2,000 or however many cars that drive by that very busy street in Oak Park every day uh, would be exposed to thinking, oh, gosh, you know, there's a house, there's a pretty nice house. Uh, I didn't know that was on the market. In the end... Signage chalks up the ban to a small-town mentality. Uh, it is an idea that the community is a little bit more, more than you. And, you know, and some of that I understand, and some of it, I, like with the ban, I, I have problems with. Hi. Hey, come on in. Thanks. Steven, right? Yeah. yeah. Now that I have an answer, I check in with our questioner, Elizabeth Brigham. Okay, and then I wanted to just explain um, what I've learned about it sure. so far. I tell so, her that the sign ban um, is a leftover from Oak Park's diversity strategy. Uh, that sign bans were found unconstitutional in 1977, and that today, although the ban is unenforceable, most people go along with it. It's it's more of a norm than a law. Yeah. That's uh, how I've been trying to, yeah. I've been thinking of it. Well, I think it, it bodes well for just the strength of the community. and Whether or not the ban actually helps keep Oak Park integrated, whether it's a relic or a real tool, Brigham just likes living in a place where diversity is a priority. And after reporting this story, this is what I know. The sign ban is definitely not the keystone of Oak Park's diversity, but it is emblematic of their fight for integration, a fight that Cedric Melton says has to continue. I mean, look around the country. We still have race as our biggest factor that continues to divide us. That's a reality. Consider Oak Park's neighbors. Maywood is mostly African-American. Cicero is mostly Latino. Elmwood Park, mostly white. Some of these places have gotten more segregated in the last 20 years. Other suburbs are projected to segregate even more in the next 20. Meanwhile, Oak Park has stayed diverse. Demographically, it mirrors the larger region, although Latinos are underrepresented. And Oak Park is geographically integrated, while in other towns, people tend to cluster by race. And, and so that lets you know you can't stop this kind of work. You've got to continue promoting diversity. It just doesn't happen on its own. Reporting for this story came from me, Stephen Jackson. 
Support for Curious City comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. One last thing. I'd feel bad if you missed even more of the reporting I dug up on this story. It's just you can't get it on the Curious City podcast. It's on Backstory, a radio show and podcast about American history. Among other things, you'll hear from one of the first African-American residents in Oak Park. Anyway, if you don't know Backstory yet, you can find it at backstoryradio.org. Curious City is supported by Goose Island. Since 1988, Goose Island has been following their curiosity and have been committed to brewing beers for Chicago that are celebrated worldwide by beer critics and beer lovers alike. More at gooseisland.com. We don't need to be the only beer you drink. We just want to be the best you drink. Next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. We take you on a tour of a magical factory. Hurry up, pilot. This way, Grandpa. Not that factory. We saw them actually strip the cow, take off the hide, cut the uh, carcass in half. From there, we went to have lunch. An eighth grader's field trip to the Union Stockyards. Next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Want to change the world There's nothing to it Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org slash curious. Thank you.